and welcome to Time of Death. I'm your host, Dee. And I'm your host, Riss. And together, we are the co-hosts of Time of Death. So, welcome. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. And uh, hopefully you are prepared for spine-tingling experience as we delve into our what? 27th episode? 27th episode. Holy moly guacamole. Uh, Riss, do you want to do your little spiel? Telling them why they're here and what we are? Okay, so if you are new here, uh, let me tell you a little something. We are two nurses who like to talk true crime, and we like to focus on cases that have a heavy medical influence or cases that feature a medical medical professional as either the perpetrator or the victim. So we are here every Wednesday and BTW, I am also trying to get our podcast on YouTube. So I think that I should be able to over the next couple days or into the weekend. So keep an eye out for that if you like to listen on YouTube. She is truly the brains of the operation. <laughs> I just show up. I don't know about that. And but I, I show up, I go on my the little... Instagram created for time of death, and I just wreck havoc. That's it. But thank you, Riss. I'm very much looking forward to a YouTube channel. As am I. Hopefully YouTube is ready for us. So, uh, want to get into the, the content? Yeah, it's your case, isn't it? Yes. Okay, oh, God, I had a mini <laughs> panic attack. I was like, wait, is it my week? <laughs> I'll tell you the 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 minutes after you do the case and you're like wow i am off for two weeks man it's like a freaking vacation Mm -hmm. exactly so uh unfortunately it was my week or i should say fortunately because i found a really cool case and uh i am hoping that everyone gets as much out of it as i did uh researching it and um but yeah let's get into it i'm so ready so This week's episode is focusing on a nurse named Deborah Ann Wolf. Now, you may not know this, but Riss's baby cat is named Wolfie. That's true. So it kind of tripped me out a little bit when I initially read it. (laughs) Jimmy and I were talking the other day, and Jimmy was saying we should have named her Wolfamina. Like... (laughs) You could still, you could just name her middle name, Wolf Amina. Wolf Amina. Or uh, what else? He said, uh, Wolf Rodrika. Wolfat. Wolfat. Wilfred. Wolfred was another good one. Oh my God. That's cute. Do you remember the show named Winfred? Winfred? There was like some human dressed as a dog. Now that you say that. Is it Wilfred? I think so. It was a male dog, right? Yeah. Yeah. This feels like a fever dream, doesn't it? That, it does. But I think that show was real. So, but anyways, anyways, I digress. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so Debbie was born on June 19th, 1957 in Blytheville, Arkansas to a Jerry Wolf in Virginia or Jenny Edwards. She had three brothers and although there's not much available regarding her childhood, she was described as a very lovely young woman, all-around happy person, just a really wholesome gal. So at 28, 
at the time of her disappearance. She was working uh, and living on her own about seven miles outside of Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is about two and a half hours west of Charlotte. So Debbie decided to go on to become a nurse as she really loved helping other people. And she really wanted to use her nursing career as a way for her to make her mark and pay back some of the kindness that had been given to her in her life, which I thought was really lovely. Mm -hmm. She worked at the nearby Veterans Administration Medical Center in Fayetteville, right off of Ramsey Street. She was very well-liked, friendly, happy-go-lucky girl. People just really gravitated towards her and had been a nurse for about two years at the time of her disappearance. During those two years, she was working as a nurse at the medical center and was considered to be like a big asset to the organization as she really did care a lot about her patients. Mm -hmm. So the Veterans Medical Center at that time was a very busy place. It was based in Cumberland County, which is the county that Fayetteville is located in and is located near one of the nation's largest military bases, Fort Bragg. So, unfortunately, during this time especially, there was a lot going on in Cumberland County. There was a lot of suspicious deaths and violent murders around the time of her disappearance as well. Roughly seven months before Debbie passed away, a mom and her two kids were found murdered in their home right on the Fort Bragg military base. Mm -hmm. And 15 years prior to Debbie's death, an army doctor, Jeffrey McDonald, who may or may not be a new case that I'm doing. (laughs) He was tried and convicted of murdering his family at that time, his wife and two girls. So at that time, again, there's a lot going on, a lot of murder, a lot of missing people, really bizarre and really unfortunate circumstances. However, it's arguable that what happened to Debbie Wolf was one of the most bizarre and disturbing things. So, I'm going to set the scene. Debbie had spent Christmas with her mom, Jenny, her stepfather, John, and her brothers. Everyone was at her mom's house. They're hanging out. They had a wonderful Christmas all together with family and friends. And the next day, December 26th, Debbie goes into work, finishes her shift at 4 p.m., goes home, and is not heard from after that. So, this would be the last time that Debbie was seen alive. The next day, December 27th, 1985, Debbie does not show up for work at 8 a.m., which was very much unlike her. In all of the different sources that I found, Debbie was the type of girl that, even if she was running just a couple minutes late, she was calling her supervisor, like, letting them know well ahead of time, you know, something came up, unfortunately, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. So she was very responsible. So this was very much unlike her. So because they were on alert, this was not like Debbie, they immediately reached out to Jenny Edwards, her mother, to have a wellness check. So at that time, after getting a call about the mysterious circumstances of her not showing up, her mom, Jenny, John, her stepfather, and Kevin Gorton, who's a family friend, drives out to Debbie's isolated cabin. So 
while they drive up to Debbie's property, automatically things are not looking right. So the property is in complete disarray and there are multiple beer cans scattered all across the yard. So Debbie's living in like a single family home? Yep. Okay. She's living in a log cabin. Oh, okay. Okay. So even the empty beer cans in the lawn was a red flag already for her family because this was not Debbie. And apparently it was also not a brand of beer that Debbie enjoyed drinking either. So Mm -hmm. who left this out here? Suspicious, yeah. So they go into the house and it is complete mess. She had two dogs. They were both German Shepherds, Morgan and Mason, Hmm. who were running like all over the house, had gotten outside. And this was also very much unlike Debbie. She was a very good dog mom. Mm -hmm. And the way that they were behaving, they had not been fed. Mm -hmm. So mom is like, what is going on? Her purse was also missing. It was later found hidden underneath the bed. The car was parked in a different place that Jenny normally parked. And when they went into the car, they found that the seat was pushed all the way back. Mm -hmm. Now, Debbie is only 5'3". So for her to have the seat all the way back is very unusual and suggests maybe someone else had been driving the car. I feel like that is very common. Like a lot of the time you hear like, oh, the car was parked, but the seat was at a different distance Mm -hmm. than what the driver requires. Like that's, I feel like people have kind of like made estimates about height, you know, that Mm -hmm. way about Mm -hmm. who the perpetrator might have been. So that's an interesting tidbit. Very interesting. And this is in the 80s. So like forensic evidence isn't one thing. So they really have to they really have to go more based on like their judgment, insight. So that's a really good point. That would have been a really good clue for the investigators. However, they they completely boggled the case. Oh boy. So while they're in the house, they also notice that her uniform is on the floor. And this sets off even more alarm bells for Jenny because This is not how Debbie lives. Debbie's very methodical, very organized, and they ended up going on to test this scrub top for, like, DNA, like, any type of evidence, and they determined that the scrub top had never been worn and was completely clean at that point. Mm. And this is a short-sleeve scrub top. So, very weird. A co-worker later claimed that during the last shift that Debbie worked, he had accidentally spilled coffee on her. And when he did that, she was wearing a long sleeve scrub top. So after he spilled the coffee, obviously she had to change her clothes. And when Debbie's body is found, she's also wearing a lot of clothing choices that just don't make sense. Mm-hmm. So we'll go over that as well. But it's been raised. Maybe the clothing that she put on at that point was from either the hospital or one of her co-workers. However, um, all of the staff denied being the one to lend her clothes, which is also very bizarre. If she had borrowed a scrub top from another individual and worn it home, 
then that scrub top would have indicated that it had been worn, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I know what you're saying. So we're thinking that the short sleeve scrub top that was found at her house was not worn at all. It was not even, worn at all. Even though she did change into a new scrub top after the guy spilled coffee on her. Mm-hmm. And like it's been hypothesized maybe she had worn the short sleeve on top of like a longer sleeve scrub top. Or you know what? Some I know a lot of us in the ED like put a spare set of scrubs in our locker because we get dirty so often. Mm-hmm. So I know that's a very common thing for nurses to do. And that's a really good idea that I should follow, but I don't. I live on the edge <laughs> of my seat. But they were also saying as even if this scrub top had been worn like somehow in some way, why is it on the floor? Mm-hmm. And going further, if she had worn that scrub top, why would it now be clean? Yeah. And if everything else, like she's normally very organized mm-hmm. and like has all of her things in such a particular way, then it's odd for her scrubs to just be laying on the floor. Absolutely. So while they're in the home, not only is everything in disarray, like the meticulous layout, like how she normally is, is con completely out the window. They play her voicemails back because back in the 80s, like, hey, that that's typically what you do when you come home. You check your voicemail. And on it, they heard the most unsettling voicemail that they could have imagined. Mm. In it, a young man is telling Debbie, you know, you've missed several days of work at this point, and I miss you. Give me a call back. That's weird. But Debbie has only been missing for a few hours from that shift today. She had worked the previous day on the 26th and completed her shift and gone home. Okay. So this was very unsettling and did not make sense to their fa- her family members. So that, for me, gives the vibe that, okay, I'm going to leave a voicemail to cover my tracks. You know, like, oh, plant the seed. Oh, you haven't been at work, even though you have all these people and records that you were at work as a nurse. Mm -hmm. So part of Debbie's job at the VA was to coordinate volunteers. The individual who left the voicemail was one of the volunteers at the hospital that was worked very closely with Debbie. Mm-hmm. There were the two men that had a romantic interest, and Debbie eventually went on to become suspects in this investigation, which makes sense. Her family believed strongly that one of the men became obsessed with her. He had a history of psychiatric illness and... Debbie had shared with them before her death that he knew her address and had looked up her phone number, which is very unsettling. That's bizarre. However, investigators looked into both of the individuals, specifically the one who left the voicemail, as Mm -hmm. it's very weird. And he was able to prove that he had an alibi for that time, took a polygraph, And then eventually disappeared from the area and was never heard from again. Very suspicious. Very suspicious. suspicious. Jenny's mom called the police to report her daughter missing. 
there was a lot of unsettling things that indicated foul play. And when she contacted the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office, she was told that they do not get involved with missing persons until they've been missing for 72 hours. Oh, boy. I feel like that's always a hurdle. It's definitely a hurdle. And you would think that the circumstances being so unusual Mm -hmm. that they would be able to say, hey, you know, this doesn't doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the investigation was delayed not the 72 hours, but rather began after five days from her disappearance. So instead of just the 72 hours for her to be classified as a missing person. They waited five days. They waited five days. Why did they re-report it at the 72 hour mark and they were told to wait longer? They, this is just another reason that people suspect this was a part of a cover-up mm. orchestrated by the police department. But this is just a small piece of the puzzle. So they begin their investigation and their search for Demi. They use bloodhounds. They're not picking up any scent. There's really no leads. So on Debbie's property, there is a shallow pond. There's contradicting reports on how deep it is, but apparently it's not so deep that you wouldn't be able to see a body in it. Mm -hmm. I think at the very most, it was 20 feet. Oh, okay. But during that time, the family had not gone into the pond, but had been able to look at the surface and see that there was nothing in it at that time. Oh, so it was pretty clear then. Pretty clear. Okay. So during the investigation with the police, they do not search the pond, which is another red flag. They go on to say that because of the pond being relatively shallow and clear, they would have been able to see a body in the pond and that they didn't. So there was really no need for them to go in there. But Debbie's mom did not feel the same way. And... She gets very frustrated with the police. Not only is the investigation delayed, but she feels it's very haphazard and that they're not being as thorough as they need to be. Mm -hmm. So she hires two private divers, and their names are Gordon Childress and Kevin Gorton, who is the same man who went with her mom and her stepfather. That's the family friend, right? The family friend. So while they're there, they immediately find two sets of footprints and drag marks near the pond. See, that's why, you know, the police should have probably at least looked at the pond instead of just dismissing it right off the bat, because that indicates foul play. Absolutely. And as they are searching, they find Debbie's body inside a 55-gallon barrel at the bottom of the pond. Wow. So they immediately come out. They say, oh, my gosh, we found a body. The police come. They take her body and they leave. How um, upsetting that must have been for Debbie to like have that hunch that she's in the pond and then they find the body. Like, oh, mm-hmm. That must have been so. It's devastating. Terry, terrible, but also kind of relieving that they actually found her body. Absolutely. So. They take her body, and the coroner finds no drugs or alcohol in her system. 
which is also very strange because of the beer cans littered across the lawn. Yeah. But they eventually rule her death as an accidental drowning. They claim that she was probably playing with her dogs, slipped, fell, and was in the pond. Now, the family had a very hard time believing that because it's not so shallow. It's not so deep that you can't go to the edge. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's a very gradual slope and you can get out. Mm -hmm. Now, Now, some reports say that it's up to 20 feet deep. But there were other reports saying, in total, the pond was only five feet deep. And for the mom to kind of look at the plan when she initially did and not be able to see clearly to the bottom, that makes me think it's pretty shallow. Like, it's probably five, ten feet. They're saying that even though it's so shallow, she still could have passed away because of immersion syndrome. Essentially, what happens is that she must have fell in, gotten her pants, socks, shoes wet from the pond, and that this in turn caused hypothermia, which caused her to become disoriented, unable to get out of the pond. And at that time in winter, there was a thin sheet of ice on the surface of the pond as well. They thought that maybe that contributed to her being disoriented and not able to get out. Mm. However, The family denies this. They said she was very familiar with the pond. And again, it's at an incline. It's relatively shallow. She should have been able to get out. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the most pressing question of all is how would she have put herself in a barrel? Yes, exactly. I know. That was my next question. How, How did that, what was their reasoning for that? The family also went on to claim that when her body was discovered in the pond, it was too clean. Her feet were not muddy, which, because of the way that the pond is set up, it's on an angle and there's mud surrounding the entirety of the pond. Mm -hmm. So she could not have walked in. So they said that her shoes were too clean. Overall, the pond had some silt. Silt? Oh, like the sandy sediment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that she was found almost too clean. Mm -hmm. she was not bloated which again with a lot of drowning victims you find that their bodies are bloated from the water oh from them like swallowing water yes in the like in terms of decomposition as well oh okay which was not the case and keep in mind she had been in the pond for five days theoretically at that time from when she went missing oh i see okay During the autopsy, they did rule that she drowned, but I think the amount of water was a teaspoon worth of water she had uh, aspirated, which Hmm. is also very, very strange. That's very bizarre. Wait, I have a question. So she was found in this 55-gallon tub? Barrel. Barrel, and it was enclosed. It was not enclosed. It was open. Yeah, her upper half was Oh, okay. Jenny was eventually given the clothing that Debbie had worn when she drowned, that her body was found in, and she claimed that the clothing she was wearing was not Debbie's. Mm -hmm. The pants were too long and the shoes were too big. 
Debbie had worn a woman's shoe size six, and the shoes that she were wearing, the shoes that she was wearing, were a men's shoe size six. The shoes, obviously, just in case anyone doesn't know about the shoes sizing for men and women, it's a little different. The shoes that she were, was wearing would have been the equivalent of a woman's shoe size seven and a half, so a whole size and a half bigger than what she was. The jacket that she was wearing was a military field jacket, also not hers or any of her brothers. The bra that she was wearing was too big. Uh, the bra was a 38C, and she was only a 34B. Okay. So what's... A plausible explanation is maybe this was because of, like, her weight fluctuating, but she's not going to get any taller or shorter for her pants being too mm-hmm. long, and her feet are not going to be a size and a half bigger. So, overall, very weird. That is bizarre. And also, like, that would be easily, I don't know if they end up doing this, but like, if they look at some of her other clothing and they could compare it like about her bra size and like that kind of Debbie uh Debbie's mother Jenny did tell the police about this and they were not they just kind of went with the explanation that I don't know Mm -hmm. it's there's really there's no closure given to the family about the clothing yeah she was also found with a necklace and a pouch and inside the pouch on the necklace there was what looked like a evil eye. It was like a talisman. Mm-hmm. And what it is is something that enables the spirit to see its way into the next life. And Jenny went on to say that she had no idea that Debbie had anything like that in her possession. Hmm. And also how interesting that it would be found on her dead body. Mm-hmm. So the police go on to close the case and rule it as an accidental drowning. And the family was very, very upset about this, very vocal about how they felt it was a cover-up. And there's a lot of conflicting narratives out there. One of the most damning um, things in this case is that the police go on to claim that there was no barrel. That Demi's body was found in. Huh. Weird. So the family is absolutely enraged that the police would go on to claim that there was no barrel. Because keep in mind, they're the ones who saw it themselves. They saw her body come out of the pond. They found the body, yeah. And Jenny also claimed that she heard the investigators talking about the barrel that day. That Debbie was found. The barrel had been on Debbie's property for months and months and was used for target practice by her brothers. So it's something that was well known to the family and that was being used. Also, the indentation in the ground from the barrel was still there even after the police claimed that there was no barrel. The police, specifically the police captain, Jack Watts, And the divers who found Debbie, like, they really beefed about this. Mm -hmm. Police claimed that it was not a barrel that 
the family saw, but rather the field coat that she was wearing ballooned out beneath her. Oh, my goodness. So, obviously, this discrepancy and several other discrepancies really raised concerns about how thorough the police were in their investigation Mm -hmm. regarding Debbie's disappearance and death. It's raised that it's very likely that someone went on to take the barrel and that this was a police cover-up to not kind of let the cat out of the bag that they had misplaced a key piece of evidence. Also, what I thought was really interesting is that when the police originally came to investigate the property, they said that they could see the bottom of the pond and that there was no body at that time. Hmm. So Jenny's mom went out to be very vocal about what she believed happened. And what she believed was that someone abducted or assaulted Kebby. Kebby. (laughs) Kebby at the cabin and killed her. Just too many things don't make sense. So they did do an autopsy, mm-hmm. right? But there was no evidence of foul play on the on the autopsy. The autopsy had only found a half a teaspoon of water in her upper bronchial area. Yeah. Uh again, is that enough to kill a person? They also found some abrasions on her knuckles, which, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be from an altercation or an attack, but it very well could be. Mm-hmm. And as we know, DNA evidence was not as uh, not as developed at that point that it is today. Mm-hmm. And her body being in water could potentially destroy all of the DNA that would have been there. Yeah. So it's a very difficult case, but I feel strongly that the police absolutely bungled this poor woman's uh, chance for closure about her daughter. Is this a cover-up? Is this gross incompetence? We will never know. And unfortunately, Debbie's family will never know either. Both of her parents passed away in 2002. Her brothers are also deceased. Uh, The only living relative that may be out there is the stepfather, John. And that's also very unlikely. So unfortunately, her family will never get the closure that they so desperately needed. I hope that they get some answers in the afterlife. But unfortunately, there's so many people that go missing and they do not have the resources allocated for answers or even locating. I mean, her family was lucky to even have her body found. Uh, And the only reason it was found was because of their initiative rather than the police doing their job. Who knows if the body would have ever been found if Debbie hadn't initiated that. It's just, it's it's very unfortunate. The fact that the military base is so close by, she was found with a military field jacket, it, you know, sh- shoes too big, pants too long. To me, it sounds as if it was uh, foul play. I don't buy it that it was immersion syndrome because why was she wearing those clothing? Why oh, It doesn't make sense. There's two sets of footprints to the pond, her shoes are clean. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't add up. What I think happened, if you want me to do that, to speculate. Yeah, go for it. I think that she was 
abducted from her cabin. I think that the body was placed there after uh, the police investigation. And I don't think that they, I think they underestimated Jenny, Debbie's mother, uh, taking the initiative to, in, to look at the pond. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the police deliberately tried to cover up what had happened um, because they did not want to look totally incompetent and they got rid of the barrel or their barrel was seized mm-hmm. by the same individual that killed Debbie. These cases with the mysterious, like, you know, obviously there were significant signs of foul play here. Mm-hmm. And it's just these cases where there's no closure are just so difficult for the family and for loved ones. It's so sad. And what's probably the most horrifying is that they could suggest that and stick with the story that she drowned when her body was found in a barrel. Yeah. You know, they're doubling down that there was nothing there. Yeah. When in reality, I mean, maybe the body was there the whole time. Who knows? But it sounds like someone dressed her in clothing and then with the necklace, with the talisman, it sounds very remorseful. Yeah. So maybe, maybe it was accidental. Who knows? But someone did something that they were not supposed to. And I believe strongly that they killed her. I think that the big takeaway from this week is always being safety-minded. You never know. And I think also being vocal about what's going on in your life. If someone is making you feel uncomfortable, make sure that you're telling your loved ones. And go to the police if need be. If those two volunteers were harassing Debbie, she did not need to deal with that. Mm -mm. And employers need to be more proactive about their employees' safety. You know, the VA should have had a no-tolerance rule for their volunteers contacting employees outside of business and not for business-related reasons. Mm -hmm. Also, something interesting about this case is that she had those two German shepherds. So, I don't know. Maybe they knew. Maybe Debbie knew the perpetrator, mm-hmm. the person who killed her. Because if they, you know, if they were familiar with them, I'm assuming they probably were. Because they probably would have had defensive wounds on them or done some damage. You know, those these are big dogs that were probably very protective of Debbie. Absolutely. Did I tell you, I have a German shepherd. Jack Jack. <laughs> and he he's they're so smart. They're mm-hmm. so smart. And I think they have a good sense of people. But if it was a boyfriend that she had that she had not told her family about, that the dogs were used to him coming by. Exactly. That's a really good point, Riss. Yeah. But it's it's unfortunate. But I don't think that she was killed there. I don't. I think that she someone came back, but I don't think, I think maybe she was, I, but again, how are you going to abduct her when her dog, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? But her car was there parked in a weird spot. So maybe like, you know what I mean? Like maybe they met her somewhere else and then drove her body home Yeah. in her car or maybe something weird. I don't know. 
I don't know. This is a, a strange case because there's so many strange things that have happened mm-hmm. to Debbie that are unexplainable. Like her purse being beneath her bed, hidden underneath her bed. Yeah. Like, why? And when do you really leave the house with that? I mean, I don't usually leave my house without my wallet, at least, if not do. a purse. Mm-mm. You know? Yeah. No, that's that's bizarre. Very bizarre. And she's someone that was, like, very, like, methodical, very organized. For her to allow her house to be completely ransacked, like, that doesn't make that doesn't make sense. But just as, like, a positive silver lining in this, the dogs ended up being okay. They went with Jenny, Debbie's mom. But Aww. still so, so sad. Yeah. So sad. So, yes, no closure regarding this week's episode. I spent all week trying to research and figure out what happened to this poor girl, and it did not. I did have no answer. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, um, maybe there will be, like, a follow-up at some point. You know, these cases can sometimes go cold for so long, and then some, you know, little nugget of truth pops up, and then it leads to someone be getting caught or some more information but yeah that's terrible the family had no closure for this case and uh, poor debbie she was young and vibrant and uh you know trying to take care of people you know what i mean anyway do you have anything else to add no good job t you did very good thank you guys for tuning in tonight i hope everyone has a great night i'm gonna call it the time is 1927. Riss, anything you want to add? No, I think you've covered all our bases tonight. All right, everyone. Have a great day or a great night or whatever time of day that it is. And uh, we'll see you Valentine's Day next week. Can't wait. Can't wait. We have a hot date with time of death. Oh, yeah. Bye. (laughs) Bye.